here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, called Sage Hart. I'm here with my other man. It's Afe over here, Cordo. How are you, buddy? We're going well. I'm excited. Now, normally in our little uh, elite, high-quality studio, we just sit alone. Yeah. But uh, given that the weather's warming up, we decided to warm up the temperature of the room. So we've invited in the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Lavarborn. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good, Claudio. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Uh, long-time listener. First-time caller. <laughs> I've been planning that line all day. <laughs> <laughs> now, first, like, I, I, I'll tell the audience. So I met you years and years ago through another random Kiwi mate who I also met randomly years ago when he turned up playing country footy like five hours south of Perth in WA. And then he was coming to some like horse, oh, Melbourne Cup thing here. And he's like, I'm bringing my mate, Jeff. Jeff is a legend back in NZ. You guys will love him. First met him and was like, this cat is something else. <laughs> and here we are five, six, seven years later. Yeah, what year? That was, that was Johnny's 30th. So how many years ago? Six years ago now. Yeah. Johnny's just turned 36. So. Yeah, 2014 maybe. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. So we've been mates ever since. Um, now, just quickly, you've got the most nicknames I've ever come across in another human being. Also the most nicknames self-given that I've ever come across in another human being. <laughs> There's only a couple that are self-given, to be honest. <laughs> a, lot have been, a lot have been sent my way. But yeah, I do agree. A lot of nicknames. Uh, Actually, done a little bit of homework and prepared a few of them that have come, a lot, come, a lot, come along the way. So, uh, share with us, share with us. Let's go. Uh, so, actually, at primary school, a very random nickname that stuck for a long time, and I've never really understood the reason why. My nickname was Beef, B E F. And no one's really ever explained it, but like my best mate, he always would call me that. And that's what everyone knew me as through primary school. So, it started, it started a long time ago. Just Beef, just Beef. Weird. There's obviously some obvious ones in Australia. Jif, pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, GB, uh, Lavar, yes. is a uh, a classic. Well, that uh, that came about a night in Richmond where we'd all consumed a fair few of uh, the golden bottled ales. Some lime cordials. Correct. Yeah. Correct. A correct. Few cordials. We're behaving. Few cordials. Uh, to the point where Jeff. Uh, his number of consumption went from about 14 to 18, then skipped to about 47, then about 86. So the cordial, exponential growth. Yes, Correct. Yes. The, the cordial had, uh, how do we say, exaggerated his statistics. <laughs> <laughs> he then proceeded to, I think, claim that he could beat a mate in an arm wrestle. There was some conversation about being the greatest touch rugby player in history. That's true. So we decided he was the Kiwi LeVar Ball. So, yep. AP, you know LeVar. Yes. The father of, uh, oh, what are the kids' names again? Lamello and Lonzo. Lonzo. And, and there's a third one that's third crap one. at basketball. Yeah, he's not really good. Yeah. And then what, the one that just got drafted, he's, he's not I think bad. he's going to be better. Yeah. But he was famous because he said things like, back in my day, I could have beaten Michael Jordan one-on-one in basketball. He started a clothing brand called Big Baller Brand. <laughs> It's a great brand. But then uh, the funny thing about that, which like I actually really, I got to give props to Lonzo. So obviously the sneaker game is massive. So I don't know if you guys remember this one, but it came out big ball brand. It's a five hundred dollars shoe. So their target audience objectively aren't spending five hundred dollars on a shoe like that. If they're spending five hundred bucks, it's going to be some limited edition Yeezy or Jordan One. Yeah, you know, some something along that ilk. So no one could fall, and his his big line was just, "Well, he's, they're not big ballers." Uh, the shoe was that bad that he wouldn't even wear it when he played. He started wearing um, <laughs> Lebrons right. or something because they kept breaking. Yeah, they kept breaking. <laughs> so they they basically just sort of loosely disbanded, and you know he's just even Lonzo was just like, "Yeah, the the shoes I can't play in it. Like it's not a very good shoe," <laughs> which I just find hilarious. Yeah. But that stuck, LeVar Bourne. Yeah. It also helped that Bourne and Ball was close enough. Very close. What are some of the others? A few others. <laughs> uh, we'll probably talk about the BB Warriors, but El Capitan is, <laughs> is another one there. 
and then uh, there were two which are the self-given that all originated on only on one day, uh, a Christmas party a couple of years ago at work. It, and uh, yeah, they, these ones haven't really stuck around, but the, they were fairly entertaining. Uh, I managed to nickname myself Jeffrey Wong, the number one Asian table tennis player in the office. <laughs> I did win all table tennis games that day. I was, you know, quite a few deep, but still had good ping pong skills. And uh, Jeffrey Anaconda... Uh, which was a reference uh, to my uh, alter ego as a African man. Uh, <laughs> so there, there was an interesting, yeah, some interesting conversations that day, but uh, probably one for the record books on the on the Christmas party scene. I can remember being at a bar and meeting him and his co-workers at a their, after their Christmas party, I think, or during it, I don't even remember. And the topic of Jeffrey Wong came up and I was like, what? And one of his, I can't remember the guy he works with, goes, oh, mate, Jeff was on fire. Jeffrey Wong came to play today. And I'm like, what? (laughs) There's nothing like a nickname that is like wildfire. And it just just catches and it goes. Yeah. So, I mean, we do have a long overdue episode coming. We probably should get Jeff back for it, though. But we probably just need to dedicate the full hour to nicknames. Where we do have special mentions like uh, Big Fan and... Loose sponsor of the show, uh, Fast Jesus. Yes, uh, great nickname. Which is a great nickname, which I also got to the bottom of again uh, the other weekend because I'd been a long time. Um, but there is a lot of good nicknames going on there out there, and then I love the self nickname that people try get through the <laughs> through the through the friend circle. It's like, oh, everyone calls me that. Um, you know, yeah, Phil. Phil, Phil mentioned I'm that guy, but no one mentioned you that guy. Well, I think Jeffrey Anaconda came around the time that we were trying to fake yet kind of legitimately plan a Bucks party to the Congo for our mate before he got married. That is correct. So I think yes, it, was, it was in a similar similar time frame. But yeah. yeah, you're also the only person I know who has like multiple cultural background nicknames. Like your nicknames tend to take on this cultural persona. Yes. Based on some innocuous thing that you've done, such as playing table tennis, and then it just sticks like mud. The best bit was is I was actually playing all of the Asian guys in the office, and they thought it was amusing as well that I'd given myself an Asian alter ego to beat them. So good. Not racist at all. It was it was all completely above board. No one took offense. HR was good. It was a good day. <laughs> Now, mate, you're something else that you're infamous for, and this is again when I first met you. Uh, I was informed potentially by yourself. <laughs> sounds sounds likely <laughs> that, that you ran one of the greatest uh, unheralded sports franchises ever. Now, I think we touched on this quickly in an episode, but I'll let you explain who they are and a little bit of the history for the audience because it's quite compelling. Yes, uh, one of the greatest sporting teams uh, on the planet, to be honest, and still going. Uh, little plug for the team. We will be back out for another season starting next week, but it is the VB Warriors. Uh, came to fruition in uh, 2012, 2013. Uh, the team now has been going for around 13 seasons, 14 seasons coming up. Uh, we've played 164 games for 124 wins, six draws, 34 losses and four premierships. And it's touch rugby. This is touch footy, yes. Yeah. Touch footy. So good good New Zealand sport uh, for us to all get together over here. Uh, probably one of the limelight moments was actually uh, coming up against, uh, I think this was in 2015, we played uh, Nathan Buckley and uh, all the senior head honchos from the AFL, uh, Dimitrov, uh, the guy who commentates, uh, it's McLaughlin and his brother, Oh yeah, uh, Robert Hamish Harvey. Uh, there's a team, and they actually were wearing the Collingwood training gear, and uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing under the table going but, on there. And in that particular game, uh, Buckley was uh, chasing a VB Warrior and ripped his hammy off the bone, and that's when he had to have surgery and couldn't uh, couldn't coach that weekend. And it was in the papers the yeah. next day. And basically, they said it was a training incident, and I wanted to write into the paper and say this wasn't a training incident. This was against the VB Warriors. That was your moment. You could have been purple. You could have been Damien Barrett. He could have been on the footy yeah. show. Like I've heard it from a source. But then, but then, it, our moment came. The VB Warriors' number one moment outside of winning premierships on Friday Night Footy. Cameron Ling broke the story, and actually put up the team map on the. Uh, like on the screen where you put all the players in their positions and they put up all the list of the guys up there and they were like, who were these guys playing? Oh, it was a team called the VB Warriors. <laughs> and they were like, man, this is, 
this is a fair team. Like, surely they must have they must have done a number on the VB Warriors. And they're like, what was the score? And like, oh, the VB Warriors won 14 nil. And it was, <laughs> mate, it was a, it was a, it was a limelight moment. Channel Seven, prime time, prime time footy on a Friday night. I think that was when we that's when we hit our peak. So uh, yeah, the VB Warriors they hold a special place in my heart. Uh, some you- great moments, some great parties over the years. Uh, yeah, and an impending tattoo still to come. Yes, now you threatened to get a tattoo if they won another flag, as so, it, as is the way. Yeah, and then COVID's hit, but I believe you did. You pay the deposit with the I tattoo. I paid the deposit. Yeah. The, the, the tattoo is still is still coming. Uh, in the in, apparently in the next few weeks, uh, the boys are actually threatening that they won't take the field on Tuesday if I don't have it by next Tuesday. <laughs> so there's a little bit of pressure coming on. Have you got a location? Yes, it's going to be on the left pick. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I had a feeling it's it either going to be quad, peck, or ankle. Yes. I it's, they're, they're, they're the premiership tattoo spots. Yeah. yeah. Ankles are like Olympic swimmers. You know, they always get the little rings yeah. in their ankles. But and peck is bold. Yeah. Peck when, is, I've got a good rig. I was going to say, when he listens to this, my friend, another consortium of nicknames, uh, Dus, K-Man... Whatever, because I can talk on a podcast and bag him out with any, without any feedback. He has the token premiership tattoo on his ankle. Oh, nice! Which he claims makes him ninety percent more manly than anybody else who doesn't have one. <laughs> so you're going to be also there to claim that. I'm looking forward to joining the club. <laughs> <laughs> um, now the other thing about it is, and I, I believe this is actually at a VB Warriors postseason drinks. That I always get an invite to, which I feel flattered. Correct. So Jeff, I mean, you know Jeff fairly well now, like newer friends. Every, like Jeff is one of those guys that just naturally, if he's got a function that's like my niece's ballet recital <laughs> drinks, he will invite everybody to that. Like any excuse to invite all of his friends. So once you're in the circle, you're in the circle forever. So I always get invited to the VB Warriors wind up, even though the one time I said, could I play? I was denied the opportunity. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a strict roster. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the supporters club is, is a much more open membership policy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there and someone's gone, I think it was Richie, one of your yeah. old teammates, who's gone, I remember that time that you sent out this, what I thought was a joke, but turned out to be the most extensive playing contract <laughs> in history for a community touch rugby. <laughs> Can you run through how many pages it was or like how? I believe this was actually, there's there's a hierarchy in the VBROs. I'm obviously captain. I had a friend, uh, Andrew Waller. Uh, he has three premierships to his name. He was the VC. He, back in the day, he actually uh, drafted a contract for me. So he was he was head of contracts. <laughs> and uh, this was circulated to all players in the inaugural team that did go on to win the, win the flag in the first season. So it was good. Uh, they took the... They took the contract seriously. Um, look, we're all about winning in the VB Warriors. <laughs> and uh, the, the particular clause that uh, Courtney is referring to is uh, drug testing is not extensive at Albert Park Touch. So we uh, actively encourage peptides. And, uh, basically, anything to help us uh, aging touch footy players get that additional bit of speed. Or I don't think we can even say additional because there's not much speed in the first place these days anymore. So uh, Speed. Yeah, we, we, we're looking for uh, forward momentum, <laughs> let's say. I just remember laughing my ass off listening to this extensive encouragement of drug testing and abuse. That is true. <laughs> so I've got a few questions around. So what's your player turnover like? What's your, what's your draft policy? Like, how are you going? Like, obviously, there's no trades. Um, but, you know, how does it go to get into the VB Warriors? Mm. Player turnover, uh, the team has uh, inherently always basically been majority all New Zealanders. Um, and Andrew Waller did play a long part, uh, a large part in getting a majority of the guys in. Um, generally, the turnover is people moving back to New Zealand. <laughs> uh, occasional career-ending injuries for mid-30-year-old men is, a, is, a, is becoming more of an issue as well. Uh, Jay Langsford, uh, like shout-out to him. Uh, he did... He, He's probably lucky he didn't get cut from the VB Warriors for throwing a gridiron pass in the in season one grand final. And there was actually someone filming the grand final and you hear me just screaming on the sideline, what the? Is that Jay Langston? 
Anyway, so yeah, the turnover has been uh, been interesting. Uh, there has been a couple of people cut from the roster uh, for performance performance issues or not paying fees on time. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything worse than any top of local sport than getting fees? No, I would. I, I think a number of the dedicated uh, VB Warriors players and people who have moved into our uh, old boys club. Uh, Known as Once for Warriors, uh, nice. as through the movie, very good. Classic. Uh, many of these guys, uh, I'm a very highly organised person. I do all of the organisation for the team. I pay the fees and I just get the money off them. All they have to do is basically transfer the money and turn up on a Tuesday and uh, follow my game plan. So it's uh, it's a very well well drilled team in terms of its its organisational front and. There have been, if, if anyone has messed around with the fee-paying part, usually other boys uh, step to my, the, the senior leadership group <laughs> will call them into line. So, <laughs> uh, Well, look, it's, um, I was going to, I had a couple of other questions about it as well. I wanted to make sure, like, I love your moves. I love the, the building of the team. But what would you say is your greatest coaching move or strategy on game day? Sure. Or motivational speeches, probably both, because I love, I love it. Like I can picture you being the tactician who's come out. You've analysed game tape of the opposition, and you're like, "I've got a plan." Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's also a, a just as likely to be like, "Look, this could be your last game because you've been shit house." There's probably a number of things here. I I like a simple game plan. The boys have learnt over the years the number of a hundred different ways that I can tell them just run straight and hard, and on the on the last couple we'll we'll spread it wide and we will have sucked in the defence and there will be space on the outside boys just just do the hard yards. This is this is about earning the right to play footy at the back end of the set. I'm Jeff Bellamy. I'm 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 cut from the Storm cloth as much as I love the Warriors. That was literally the play from the Storm book at the end of the year. Pretty much just simple. In terms of my in terms of my motivational speeches, probably a favourite one of mine was uh, a season where uh, we had a we had a game rained off, and so the whole season park footy got shunted by a week. And I like to go on my surf trips at the end of seasons, and I'd booked a trip away, and we made the grand final, and I missed it. So I was on the boat in the middle of the the southern outer atolls of the Maldives, one of the most remote places on the planet, and I managed to record a pre-game speech <laughs> and get some Wi-Fi from some dude as we were around an atoll and sent it to the boys so they could listen to me pre-game, of which they proceeded to go on and lose the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> so hits and misses, hits and misses. Correct. The only other masterstroke would probably be a controversial uh, in last season and at the beginning of this year, we finally won the, the top grade. So a great effort from the team. But I had to make a harsh call and actually uh, leave a guy out who I thought the other team was going to exploit defensively. For social touch, this was a, a tough call uh, <laughs> to actually cut someone. But it had been 2,000 days since the last premiership. And I love winning. And I needed to win that one. And so the decision, that was a that was a... A big roster and grand final decision that that will go down in history. That one, that is a big move. Yeah, very big move. Yeah, yeah. How did you tell them? Gave him a call. Yeah, I decided to tell him. Yeah, some of the boys uh, were having a bit of a laugh about, but it was uh, yeah. Well, I, to be fair, it was not that enjoyable telling a guy that. Uh, I mean, he he didn't play in the semi final uh, on his own choice, and then he was available for the final, but. We knocked off a very, very good team in the semifinal, and I was like, "Holy shit, we can actually win this thing this week!" Yeah, and he was the weak link in our defense, and and defense won us that comp. Like we haven't actually we hadn't won the top grade for a long time. We lost a lot of semis and and finals, and in the end, I I think it was a it was a tough call that needed to be made, and the the final was very low scoring. So I think I think we made the right call. Now you see why I didn't even get a look in to like train in the preseason and prove my worth. The nicest dude in the world, but there is this one <laughs> tiny little narrow aspect of his life where he's ruthless and unrelenting. <laughs> it probably doesn't help that while we've been talking, I think you hurt your ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Damn chairs raising up and down. <laughs> I'd have to say the number of lower back injuries and calves, uh, the old man injuries are becoming prolific in the VB Warriors roster. 
Uh, <laughs> no, I just think it's an age thing for all of us. Like every time I talk to my mates, if they're doing some sort of physical activity, I'm like, oh, how's that going? Oh, Carl's cooked. Like it's, it's always, <laughs> I'm doing something, but there is some injury that's set in yeah. that didn't really happen in game or could be explained. It's just arrived. <laughs> See, yeah. I feel like I went the other way. I went so hard on all my injuries for five of my prime years that I've got like a bit of a stretch. Anything longer than six months is like, I'm good. Yeah, okay. I, I wasn't too bad in my mid-20s. My early 20s, I was bad. Now I'm just like paper. I'm pathetic. I mean, I famously was sitting cross-legged playing uh, 2K on the old Xbox <laughs> and went to get up. Did I hear me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I went to get up and I was like, I can't feel my foot. And then I tried to put pressure on it. Couldn't. Go the next day to the doctor. You should go get it scanned. I've got a torn ligament in my right ankle. Like, I mean, to be fair, it's probably been there for a while, but <laughs> literally sitting cross-legged on the floor, tipped it over the edge, and I was on crutches for three weeks. <laughs> Pathetic. Um, okay, well, look, that's uh, for anybody out there, if you've actually genuinely got touch rugby skills, we can put you in charge with Jeff. We promise nothing, though, unless you've got a very compelling resume. I don't even know if you'll get an email. <laughs> However, anyone out there that can get a hold of Mexican steroids, peptides, Russian anything, he is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Now, look, there's something else awesome that you did during lockdown, which speaking of injuries, <clears throat> um, you decided to do a half marathon, right? Or full marathon. Yeah, full marathon. Yeah. And you'd never, I, as far as I'd known you, you were never like a, a marathon runner or anything. No, right? not a runner at all. Um, coming up to March this year, I think the furthest I'd ever run was, I think I might have run 8Ks once, but mainly 6Ks and generally just on the treadmill at the gym. Never been a runner outside. Unfortunately, my younger days of uh, a lot of basketball and, and touch footy, my left knee hasn't been great for a while. So I tended to avoid running because I thought that would just be a, asking for trouble. So... Yeah, this was an interesting experiment. So what brought it on? Like, I know you're a very motivated and focused man, <laughs> but obviously there was some... Running a marathon is not something that you kind of wake up one day and do. Because no. running sucks. Objectively, yeah. running is... Uh, it's one of the all-time great mental battles and physical, because it's friggin' boring. Yep. Fact. Yep. But what, what sort of brought you on this, I'm going to do it. Uh, so basically when, uh, COVID hit in March and the, you know, over here, like the gyms all had to shut. I usually went to the gym every day, like in the week before work and started working, obviously working from home and basically not, you know, doing much. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I'll just try some running. And so I started running like three or four Ks around the block. I did it for a few weeks and then I gradually got up. I think I ran 10 Ks. And then one morning I was like, I'm going to try run 21. I was like, to see if I can run a half marathon on a Saturday morning. And it, it went, I did it, but it went very badly. And uh, after that, then my sister for my birthday, she got me a book. Um, it's called the Hanson's Method of Marathon Running. I read it in like three days and it was a, basically a 20 week program that you can run as like a beginner runner to do a marathon. And uh, so I decided to do the, I'd have a crack at doing the Melbourne marathon, which was supposed to be late September and um, started doing the training and yeah, got through it. Um, unfortunately, the Melbourne Marathon didn't go ahead. So I got about 10 weeks into the training and they, it didn't look likely that it would go ahead. Um, so decided I was going to do my own one. And then we had the 5k radius issue in Melbourne. So I couldn't really go too far. And when you're having to do 30k runs on a Saturday, it came interesting. So I Started running around Albert Park Lake as my regular track and uh, decided to do nine laps of Albert Park Lake for the marathon. And once I sort of committed to that, I then decided, oh, maybe I should make something out of this. And so I decided I'd do it for charity. Um, and so I had a few charities on my shortlist <laughs> uh, that I might do it for. And then, yeah, I had a friend who we worked with who's been having a bit of a tough time. And so I had a chat to him. Um, he's had brain cancer. And so uh, he put me in touch with like a foundation that's been really good for him like throughout his treatment. And um, they helped me set up a web page. So I set a goal of $2,000. And within 12 hours, I got 1500 So I was like, all right, 
bit up the limit <laughs> and uh yeah set it at five thousand and then and by the time i by the time i ran oh, i was about to run the marathon um i had nearly seven thousand dollars in sponsorship and over 100 people sponsoring me and about 35 people coming down to sort of watch or support the um sort of support the last couple of laps as i did it so yeah it was a it was a very interesting process it was training was was hard it was i was running six days a week for 20 weeks so it's a lot of kilometers <clears throat> to chalk up yeah yeah unbelievable no, definite kudos but um like and awesome work raising that much money for great cause yeah guess through your nine laps of Albert park yeah uh wanted to pick your brain about some of the emotional battles that you have so I know there's another side story which was occurred. Yeah. So you're able to uh, <laughs> take us on that journey. Yeah. But again, running running a marathon, it's it's a lot of different moments in your mental space. Yeah. So again, for those of you who you know, like me, who run a couple of kilometers and it's an ordeal, <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you go that far? It's interesting because, like, during the training, um, like, I read lots and lots of different things about people running their first marathons, and they say like, you can do like, like I basically didn't miss a run in the twenty weeks, so six times a week, and I tried to focus on diet. Resmail, shout out to Johnny who looked after me every weekend. He wanted to make sure that I mentioned this in the podcast. He fed, <laughs> he, he fed me every Saturday, but. You can get all that side of it right. You can get the, you know, the the, the like the nutrition side, the um, the training part of it um, really well, but a lot of people don't actually consider any form of mental training. And as you've mentioned, like marathons, not actually about being like super fit. It's it's a lot of it's like mental toughness, and it's just pushing through. You know, particularly for someone like me who was trying to run like a sub four hours. So you're not rapid. Like you're just you're finishing at a reasonable pace. And so I did a lot of uh, training runs where I like focused on different techniques, which is basically like when you feel like you're going to stop, like you have like a mantra that you say in your head, like over and over until you push through that, that bit of pain and you train that so that on the day when you face that, particularly when you go like into the 30 kilometer mark, because I never ran more than 34 in training and that's pretty normal. So you're going eight Ks further. And then that bit, that's when the pain really starts to hurt. And so getting yourself through. So for me, like my one was uh, winners never quit and quitters never win. Um, and I would just say that over and over in my head, like every time. And I never stopped in one training run in the 20 weeks. So no matter how painful it was, I just always kept going because I knew that that was what I was going to have to do on the day. Now, apart from the mental challenge, there was another one that, <laughs> crept up on you am i correct correct so on the day i i had a lot of niggles throughout the training i had blisters and all sorts of things that were a pain in the ass during training but yeah unfortunately on after the first lap i was just running along normally feeling really good and it's got a really sharp pain through my lower leg and i was like oh what's that i was like don't panic just keep running it out i ran like the next five k's probably 20 yeah 20 25 minutes and it just didn't go away I had a watch that was sending out my times and Johnny, who was like my support crew on the day, he was like, he asked me before I said anything. He's like, what's, like, what's going on? Like your times have just gone off a cliff. Yeah, there's something, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was something wrong with my calf. Luckily I didn't know. And I just, it was so painful. It was like just running with like a dagger through my lower leg. It happened 23 minutes in. I ended up running a three hour 57. So around three and a half hours on it. And then, yeah, we had some beers that afternoon. I hadn't drunk for 10 weeks, which for me is a very, very long time. <laughs> um, and yeah, went to the went and got it checked out on the Monday morning and I actually tore my Achilles. So um, I basically ran 38 Ks on a grade two tear of my Achilles, which the doctor and the physio were impressed by, but said I was incredibly stupid and lucky <laughs> that I didn't snap my Achilles and have 12 months out. Yeah. So That's yeah. unbelievable toughness. Yeah, I kind of, I think people are like, why'd you do it? And I think I just 
I couldn't face doing another 20 weeks of training. I was like, I've just got to finish today. Like, and they had all the people coming down. I was like, I can't be sitting on the ground at the finish line when everyone's arriving. And they're like, what are you doing? So I was like, I just got to keep going. I just went one lap at a time. But it was funny because they think about all that mental toughness stuff. And obviously it was mental toughness that probably got me through. But all the stuff that I trained for, all the things that I prepared in my mind, nothing I don't remember any of that happening on the day because I was just in so much pain. I was just thinking just one foot in front of the other. I had people come and run laps with me, like shout out to Hot Rod, uh, Chris. Uh, and yeah, I think I apologize to those guys. I didn't say a word to them when I was running around because I just couldn't even bring myself to talk. I was in so much pain. Yeah, crazy <laughs> stuff. Far out. Man. Thanks for a memorable day though. <laughs> Well, I'd like, you know, on a shanked Achilles raising seven grand for brain cancer exactly. on a marathon that was shut down due to COVID that you decided to go ahead and <laughs> facilitate your own marathon. You had plenty of opportunities to tap out once. True. 5K radius, that's all right. I'll just run laps or something to get the Ks up. Yeah. I wanted to come, but was obviously in Outside serious of danger of being fined for leaving uh, the radius. Yeah, I think the sidelines threw a couple of bucks under the pile. Not much, but certainly did. Our certainly hot, did. It was our, appreciated. Our highly profitable podcast was, <laughs> was a sponsor. That was what got me around that last lap. <laughs> but mate, no, nah, seriously, so impressive. Like I remember getting messages from Johnny, our mate, and just and he's like, I think his legs cooked. Like, <laughs> and I'm like that was is great. it going to stop? And he's like, maybe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Any minute now, like so, yeah. Well done, man. Honestly, yeah. real impressive. But look, the beauty of uh, finishing a great task is you get to party after finishing a great task. Correct. So uh, you got on the beers after you ran. How was that? Uh, that that first beer that afternoon was was probably the best beer I've ever tasted. <laughs> after you know, a after running it, b after being in agony, and and c actually going ten weeks without having a drop of alcohol. I think it was the first time since. I probably ever consumed alcohol when I was 16 or 17 that I'd gone 10 weeks without a drink. So, um, yeah, it was it was Steinlager Pures, one of my favorite beers. <laughs> Shout out to New Zealand. Uh, you know, I do tell everyone, I told everyone at work many times, probably the best beer in the world. Uh, and so, yeah, there was there was a nice little slab of those waiting for the, uh, for the afternoon. So good. <laughs> well, uh, on the topic of beers, Something that I've remembered for years since I met you is, and you talk about like getting on the beers when you're 16, 17. Whenever I've hung out with Kiwi mates, I feel like Aussie guys have drinking games, but they're always designed to just sort of like be a dickhead. Like and accelerate drinking. Yeah. They're, yeah. Like the goon of death, the famous, we have those, uh, the clotheslines that I don't think anyone else in the world, maybe Kiwis have them as well. The sort of spinning clotheslines. Goon of fortune. Yes. <laughs> Attaching a goon bag, which for our uh, non-Aussie or non-Oceania Pacific uh, friends <laughs> is effectively cask wine. So the placky bag of wine that's in a cardboard box. We the would silver take the, pillow. Yeah, the silver pillow. We would take the bag out, attach it to the corner of the clothesline, swing it around. Everyone's in a circle. Whoever it stops on has to have a big whack of $4 white wine. Fruity Wicks, yeah. May contain, may contain traces of fish, egg, and milk products. You gotta wonder how that gets into wine, but you know, it's seven bucks for four liters, you can't go wrong. Correct. <laughs> now that's always been our drinking games. When I started to hang around with the Kiwi boys in Melbourne, they would say, like, oh yeah, I remember we were playing such and such game. And I'm like, what does that do? <laughs> and whenever they'd explain it, I'd always be left feeling, I won't say empty, but confused, going, <laughs> Why do you do that? <laughs> Now, the first one I want to ask you about as the residential, uh, <laughs> you know, Pacific uh, expert, Hermit. <laughs> Explain hermit. hermit for our listeners. The Hermit is not the most social drinking game going around, <laughs> but uh, often at, in the university days when you were in a share house, uh, Hermit involves taking a dozen beers <clears throat> and basically getting into a cupboard um, or, or some kind of confined space. And you basically, you can usually, usual rules is you can take a bucket in with you to, uh, to piss in if you need to, but you go sit in the cupboard by yourself and can, you, you're allowed out once you finish the does. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a social experiment because until you've done it, you don't really like, usually I feel like I could drink two or three beers and feel fine. When yeah. you're in a confined space, 
you feel much drunker after two or three beers. And so getting to the 12 is quite challenging. And it's, it's a great moment when everyone emerges from their cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah you're in a share house with five dudes and yep. everyone goes and hops into a cupboard and then comes out and you're in the dark as well. Yeah, right? pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's an entertaining game. It's, it's, it's a social experiment and a, a social experiment that's very antisocial. <laughs> it's like some like CIA, like you're like, I could almost, if someone said like, oh, war crimes are being investigated in Afghanistan. The US Army made uh, jihadists all climb into a cupboard and sink 12 beers. Like, I'll go, oh yeah, that would be quite torturous. <laughs> Doesn't leave a mark either. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking like, why the hell does anyone play that game? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very good question, to be fair. Uh, New Zealanders are very creative with their drinking. <laughs> The next one that came out that I heard about, and I, I lost it laughing when <laughs> someone explained this to me. Explain, uh, I think AP knows this game. Explain it. Possum. Possum is just next level hermit. Um, it's more social. You basically just climb into a tree, again with a dozen beers, and you drink them. And if you fall out of the tree, you lose. Or, or maybe you win if you're, you're drunk and having a great day. But basically, it's just about sitting in a tree drinking. And it's, uh, you know, I'd say the occupational safe and healthy is is, is not high, but uh, it's a good time. Um, yeah, a little more social than Hermit, but probably a little more dangerous. Yes. The thing I find interesting is like, there's the, I don't know what, it, maybe it's just the, uh, the New Zealand way of things. Not a lot of athleticism in the drinking game. So I would say that for the most part, Australian drinking games a lot of activity yeah there's like, always like there's a lot that are like you know you, you got your typical ones like beer pong which is more american flip cup yeah getting yeah. a bit more american but there's generally speaking always some movement going on there's an activity there's probably some running at some point someone's got to throw something it's ever there's always one person who's going to get hurt yeah um there's that's that's the general uh tone yeah ours are like to but like ours are the payoff is that someone will potentially get hurt or vomit. It feels like the Kiwi ones I keep hearing about are these sort of like mental tests yeah. <laughs> that scar people for right. life. <laughs> like someone was telling me about his mate who is his housemate did a possum, fell out of the tree and broke his arm. Like I it's, suspect that happened a lot. Yeah. It's depending on how high the tree is as well. <laughs> like you're really upping the games if you're 20 meters up. Like, you know, you wouldn't want to fall. <laughs> What's the other one where you attach the drinks to your hands? Ah, that's scrumpy hands. Um, that's good. That game is that's very entertaining. Very famous at New Year's in New Zealand. Um, that you get these uh, like one liter bottles of very cheap cider, and you you tape them to your hands, and you basically it's Edward Scrumpy hands. You walk around or Edward Forty hands, and you basically just you're not allowed to take them off until you finish them. That game is is. <laughs> is entertaining with plastic. I've seen it go horribly wrong where I saw someone do it with two bottles of champagne and they fell with it taped to their hand and literally slashed the whole part of it into hospital. Like it was, um, yeah, it was, it was hectic. It was not good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So there's those three. Now there is another one that I have very excitedly wanted to get involved in. I can't remember when you first floated the idea to me. (laughs) I'll let you explain it and then we can we can try and uh, figure out when we're going to do it because it's something that I feel like we're quite committed to. Great. Yeah. This can... uh yeah, th- this one is um this one's never been done. It's a, it's it's an idea of mine. It, it was a it was a proposal um probably about 7 or 8 years ago and it's it periodically comes up and everyone gets really excited about it but we've never actually done it. The game is called Dinghy. Uh, the basic thing here is you get a group of guys. We uh, we get a dinghy. Um, I have a mate who's very good at physics. So we did run the idea past him. Um, but you, we essentially will drill a hole in the boat. And we all have a dozen beers. And you, you have to finish them before the, uh, before the boat goes under. Now, you can use your empties to bail it out to keep it above water. Or if you're in the lead and you're looking to see the other guys sink and you know that you're all good then away you go. So it's it's quite a high risk game. Um, <laughs> depending on how far you put the dinghy out. Like you could literally put it three meters off the beach. Um, but if you really, again, wanted to up the stakes, yeah, you could put it in Bass Strait, you know? Yeah. I feel like you need to be in water where you can't stand on the bottom. 
Yeah, this is how you get on the front page of the paper for six guys dying after they drilled a hole in a boat (laughs) trying to finish 12 beers. Yeah, that's definite news. Yeah. The net result of that is a few weeks ago, we were, I was on Gumtree and I was like scouring the classifieds trying to find the right kind of dinky to the point where I uh, messaged a guy that lives out (laughs) in Janjuk and was like, this dinky's 400. What will you do for cash? <laughs> and I remember him writing back going, maybe three. What are you going to use it for? <laughs> I didn't know how to write back. To we want to get an elaborate it. drinking yeah, game. We want to get in it and drill a hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, look, I think it'll be very entertaining. Um, there was a hybrid version of this the year that I think it actually came up with where there was a sandbar out in the middle of uh, this big like estuary where we were in New Zealand and we did get the idea of going out at low tide and you sit on the sandbar again with a dozen beers common theme and as the tide comes in you've got to finish and get back to land before it <laughs> before basically you're stranded out there so that was that there was that idea and then we decided I think dinghy would be easier just to get in a boat and try and sink it <laughs> maybe we do a live podcast from dinghy be good be high action yeah, we don't want to wreck our stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, might, it won't matter if we drown and are never found again. That's also that's also true. Yeah, <laughs> we a great tombstone message. I told you we drilled the hole too big. Was the final words <laughs> on the live podcast. All right, all right. So as is the tradition, uh, Jeff. As a long-time listener, first-time caller, you'd know what is upcoming, which Dude. is your greatest sporting moment. So for our listeners out there, this is where Jeff takes us on an emotional, physical, spiritual journey <laughs> through whatever his moment is. So Jeff, it's on you. What is your greatest sporting moment? Look, this is a, this is a special one for me, and the listeners out there, will they will appreciate this if you've... Uh, if you've been over to my house, you know that this is a sport that I uh, I hold dear to my heart and have dedicated a lot of my life to. So this is a moment that I've I've never actually got to do myself and never will, but this is my great opportunity and so I'm looking forward to it. And we're going to talk about the, the great sport of, of bodyboarding <laughs> or, or as otherwise sometimes known, boogie boarding or esky lid riding. I cop a lot of harassment for the sport, but I love it. It's a great sport and I've dedicated a lot of my life to it. So uh, that's all we're going to be talking about today. Nice. Uh, so do you want me to uh, to to uh, go straight into this or you got some questions that I no, want? No, t- so take us on, take us on a, a bit of a sporting context. Sure. Yeah. So uh, essentially what we're, what we're going to be uh, talking about here today is, is the Bodyboarding World Tour and my, uh, my life on tour. Uh, basically I've, I'm going to be, uh, talking here that I've been on the tour for 10 years. I've never, ever won the world title. I finished second the last four years in a row (laughs) and this year, and then, and in this current year, I've announced that this will be my last, my last time on the tour. Nice. And so basically I'm looking to get that, to get that maiden world title and essentially it's coming down to the last event. The last event's going to be in Tahiti at a uh, well-known break for anyone who knows the surf or has, has seen any Red Bull clips of uh, what's called Chopu or yeah. Chopes, the end of the road, one of the heaviest waves in the world. Reef break. It's a reef break. Yeah. yeah. A beautiful spot, but more more water per like square inch than anywhere else on the planet. Just rip people apart. But basically, uh, the moment we're going to talk through today is... The season I've uh, basically in the in the in the season before, I was in line to win the title, and I, I basically came down again to the last event, and I've gone on a big wave, and I've broken my neck. <laughs> <laughs> Just got eaten out there. Everyone thought it was career over, but I've I've gone to Indo in the off season, seen some uh, some herbal healers over there <laughs> on an island of Java, and I've made a miraculous comeback. Uh, Back on the tour for one last one last dance, if I could use that term, <laughs> and basically come through the come through the season, and it's come down to me and one other guy from Brazil. We both need to win the last event to win the world title, 
And yeah. just so be it, we've ended up on other sides of the draw and we end up in the final together. So it's basically winner takes all. Yeah. He starts the final very well. And in, uh, in surfing or bodyboarding, you get, uh, basically it's judged on a 10 point, like a 10 point scale for a wave. And it's your best two waves in a 30 minute final. He's gone out and got a 10 straight away. I've managed to get a nine. He's got like another nine. So I basically need a 10 to win the event. The swell on this particular day, this is like a macking swell. Like there, there's like, you've seen a lot of toe and surfing. There's toe and bodyboarding as well. And basically when it reaches that point, like you can't paddle in. And the, the judges and the, the comp organizers have decided, nah, like we're going to run the final. And it, the swell's like right hitting the point where you just can't paddle in anymore. So this is like, Lion, like Romans to the lions in the arena. Like this is dangerous, <laughs> dangerous stuff. Like someone could die out here today. Like, so we're in the, we're in the final. Basically, I need that 10 point ride. There's a one minute siren at the end of the, at, for the end of the heat. There's this big dark lumps on the horizon. It's like 15, 20 foot sets. Big as Chofu can get to paddle into. Comes through. I'm paddling for a wave and Essentially, the siren goes as I airdrop into this wave. I disappear behind the lip, deepest, deepest barrel of my life. And Nit Chopu, there's a big flotilla of all the supporters, the photographers, all the other competitors right at the end of the wave. Everyone thinks I'm gone. It's, <laughs> it's over. And then this thing spits and I come out after the spit and I come flying past the boat and a guy throws me a Hanano, the Tahitian beer. <laughs> <laughs> I grab it on the way past, rip off my flipper, pour it into my flipper and do a flippy. Not a shoey. Not a, not a and celebrate my maiden, my maiden world title on the buzzer after breaking my neck the year before. And it is, it is, the, the, this is my dream. The greatest, the greatest moment in bodyboarding history. <laughs> There's a lot to capture there. <laughs> that is brilliant. A flippy. Is that a thing? No. No, you've, yeah, you've <laughs> I've, invented I've, I've come up with it. I've, I've taken Ricardo's shoey <laughs> and I've made it a flippy. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. There's, yeah. a, lot to, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a, a lot to unpack. Yeah, that's here. a very there was, complexly wrapped present. There was a lot of emotion in that because genuinely I want to do this, but it will never happen. <laughs> What's the name of the beer again? <laughs> Hanano. The, Hanano. Uh, Hanano is the national beer of Tahiti. <laughs> yep. Lovely beer. I'll let you do it. <laughs> I've, got one, I've got one, but I want to, I think it's towards the back end. I'm trying to absorb it all. All right. So as you've done that, is there like a, a song that you would like? I'm assuming maybe the boat is playing a song. Like explain. Look, there's, there was obviously there were two songs that would play basically. You know, as uh, it's uh, a natural arena, it's not a stadium where there'll be something playing. So going into the heat, or the final heat, I've got my headphones on in the water, so I'm listening to a song. Mm. And the song that I listen to before I go out is none other than Eminem, Lose Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> one shot, one opportunity. Yes. For everything you ever wanted. There we go. Are you? Do I could see you in the hoodie with the like the big headphones on, just bobbing quietly That's in the back it. of the deck. And then obviously there would also be a song that would play as I've flown past, done my flippy. There's there's only one song for mine that will play at this moment in time, and that's Marvin Gaye, "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." <laughs> <laughs> a great story of comeback from. You know, the perils of defeat, the broken neck the year before, to coming back, to being out, down and out in the final and yeah. winning at the final hooter. I just, yeah, so the broken neck. So does that mean like the first few rounds of the season, you're like in the sort of like, what are those metal things called that they put you in? Like, in no, the, her, the, herbal, the herbal doctor in Indo fixed me up with some, uh, magic. some tea tree leaves and yeah, okay. some, some, some black magic. So didn't need to wear the halo. No. Just Got the magic healing powder. That's it. A few bintangs and we were, we were sorted. <laughs> so, question. In your final year, do you, think, do you think your announcement early that you were retiring, as, as most sporting careers go when, when someone's been in the sport for a long time and has come close, do you think your 
call to retire, aided the judges in a few questionable points giving, or was it? Is everything all Ooh. above board? Like yeah. there was there was it was an undisputed. So this is more leading into our doco question. So when they go back to the judges, there was no, you know, round four controversy. The nine point four that wasn't. Ooh yeah, this is a good question. Like I think there there may there may be uh, competitors out there that thought that potentially the judges were swayed by the uh, the fairy tale finish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. However, in the final, the last wave was the most incredible wave ever ridden. So everyone has forgotten about this. Very good answer. And yeah, I like that. We've, we're, it, it was a wave that was unmakeable. You could not take that world, world title away once that wave was made. It's like a dude in basketball that missed so many clutch shots, but that last clutch shot that he nailed, everyone forgets about the track record. That's it. You live in infamy. That's it. The flippy. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of the doco. Yes. Yeah. That's the most important thing about all of this is, <laughs> is the doco that occurs post-career. So have you got a name for it? Yes. I have a name for the, for the doco. The name of the doco is Relentless. Ooh, Ooh, I like that. It's very strong. Relentless with a little subtitle under it, which we may have touched on already with the marathon running, which we winners never quit and quitters never win. I like Good. that. I like that. So who's your main narrator in Relentless? I've thought about this quite a bit and I, uh, I've actually decided to go with an interesting one, which I would have uh, Ray Warren from the NRL <laughs> and I want him to basically narrate the way he narrates the hype to State of Origin before... before uh, <laughs> but he's, uh, he's an interesting character, but I could see him doing a good job of this, of this docker. Every sort of critical scene in the doco is just amped up to 11 pretty much hype. yeah yeah now are you so is the doco does it take on a bit of the like he's the journeyman that finally shone or are you painted as a sort of like you had a bad attitude or you didn't know how to quite get over that hump no i think we're going the option one this is the journeyman yeah this is this is the comeback kid who who never who never gave up who kept coming back year after year yeah. and then made the call of the the one final season and finally got there. It was the it was the fairy tale finish. Yeah, nice. I can't think I've got anything else on the doco front. Yeah, that's it's pretty self-explanatory, like relentless, all about dedication, focus. Beautiful uh, story of that like never had the world's greatest talent, never had anything given to you. But you just worked and worked and worked at it, and finally the chips fell. That's it. So you, I actually do have one more that can fit into Doco. So you're the guy you beat in the finale. Was he like? Was he a genuine nemesis, or was it more like respected rivalry? I'm going to say that it was a genuine nemesis. There was a lot of bad blood. Yes, Is I was. I was. He was the one who won the three previous world titles yeah, and, okay. uh, and I finished second too. So I wanted that. I wanted that title and I wanted, I wanted to beat him more yeah, than anybody else. So to, so to have him in the final, in the final heat of my career was the most justifying way to finish. And there he is like, he's just like beautiful tan Brazilian man. <laughs> Only guy to ever win uh, bodybuilding championships in speedos. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Fabio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fabio de Rio de Neros. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Also a black belt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my, I actually love this one the most, but post-career. Yeah. Where do you start making your money? So I've got a couple of options here. Uh, one is that I open uh, or I open a bar at what's called the end of the road. And it is basically tradition that when, uh, when you enter the bar, you, uh, you actually, the, the flipper that was worn in the final is you actually do a flippy in there. And this becomes, <laughs> this becomes a renowned bar for the surf traveling population around the world and people nice. actually attend. So I have shares in this. I do a bit of bartending. I'm just a well-known person around there. Yeah. Revered. At the, end of the, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the road. 
but I also uh, opened a chain of like wellness retreats focusing on like mental toughness and coming back from from adversity at great surf spots around the world so that for the rest of my life I don't have to work and I just travel there and I give I give motivational speeches on coming back from a broken neck to finally win a title and what it takes to uh to uh to be successful after a long period of trying to do something are you a national hero in NZ yes monuments yes I believe the uh I have a twist on this one. Possibly not a monument, but I believe after that, uh, after that finish, one flipper goes to the bar for the flippy, and then the other one gets coated in gold and becomes the trophy for that event. So Ooh. that everybody, it, it basically is a flipper on a uh, on a mount that is covered in twenty four karat gold and becomes the trophy for the uh, the Chopu season ending event year in year out. That's good. That's a real, that's infamy kind of moves. Mm. Do you think there's a chance you sell out six years afterwards and you're just doing flippies? Like everything's in there. It's just like, like you know, you're at, you're at, uh, at a burrito joint. It's just like, I love this burrito joint. I'd even do it through my flipper. Oh, and yeah. Like, like when they put burrito meat in the flipper and you're like taking a burrito through the <laughs> flippy. Look, uh, the, the opportunity to get derailed by many Hananos and go a little, <laughs> little choppo. Uh, yes, I would, would not rule out uh, yeah. some a few deviations from the main track uh, post-career. I could see like a, like a PR agency that's trying to get a hold of you on behalf of Kmart giving up because he's sort of insistent of a messenger pigeon offer to <laughs> some arse and island somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And then it's like, oh, forget it. It's too hard. <laughs> He needs to wear a suit. I'm not doing it. <laughs> nah. Hell no. Do you, for eternity, do you end up in basically just Hawaiian shirts and board shorts? Absolutely. And, and no shoes. Jandals. Yeah. Jandals, yeah. And, a, and a Hawaiian shirt that's never buttoned up. But uh, yeah. And so then occasionally when it blows open, they see the the touch rugby tattoo and the peck. That is correct. That is, that's, that's <laughs> the glory. That was the glory youth days before I, before I, uh, Got settled down and, and had a serious life on the world bodyboarding tour. I could see relentless, uh, and what is it? The winners never quit. Quitters, Quitters never, never win. win. That sounds like such a like motivational self help book slash audible book. I Correct. could see you making good cash off that on yep. the side. Probably not going to rival the last dance, but you know, <laughs> has a good name. I like relentless. <laughs> I've thought about that one. No, I think you got to have your side cash. There's always that side cash. That's yeah. the key. Correct. Options and lifestyle. I think that's pretty bloody sharp. How do you top that? It's way better than all of ours. I mean, mine ended up just some sort of corrupt. What was it? I had some dodgy cleaning product business <laughs> yeah. in China where people were getting sick, but I was getting rich. <laughs> Yours was just a cheap knockoff. You basically just took Roger Federer's name out. And <laughs> yeah. It was classy. And I got better cars. Yeah. Ashes <laughs> was pretty good with the old, uh, the Formula One defiance of team orders. But I think Jeff's is pretty sharp on the old originality there. No, I, I did that. like it. Creating your own drinking celebration is. <laughs> it puts it that to is iconic. Notch. It is. The flippy. If I was you, I'd copyright that right now. As <laughs> soon as this episode ends, I'd get on. And then you'll get there and then you'll be like, who the fuck? Sidelines, guys. What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Registered trademark. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Who registered my trademark? It says here, was it courts and AP <laughs> sidelines.com.au? And not Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically cut out of the deal. <laughs> now, the one thing I've got to raise, and maybe you haven't considered this, surely you have your own beer company, either you create or someone from NZ comes to you? Like, say, is it, it's Kingfish. Oh, the, yeah. So you've got the, the Hanano. That's yeah. just the, but if I was to start my own beer, we would have to loop back to uh, discussions we had earlier in the podcast today. And it would be the Lavar Edition Soul, which the is the, you know how there's the, uh, what's that beer called? The, um, oh, the one that it's like the beer mixed with tequila. The, oh, uh, oh yes. Um, what's it? it? Begins with D or something. Um, I can't really remember. Oh, I cannot remember what that's called. But you know the you know the one. 
You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. So the LeVar edition Soul, the whole night where the LeVar nickname came from was actually to do with Souls with Mr. Uh, Mike Wolf from uh, WA topping up my beer when he, before he gave it to me with some gin. And we realized the gin actually separates from the beer. So I got a big mouthful of gin and that's where the LeVar edition Souls would come from. So they <laughs> yeah. had turbocharged beers. Turbo- <laughs> that's Because it was given to me. Yeah. And I was like, there's something in this. There's something in this. And then I think you were like, it's fine. And then you drank it. And then somehow your beers got laced. So it went from he's had eight souls to 76 souls in the space of four souls. So I'd basically be starting a, uh, a hybrid, yeah, a hybrid beer company, which incorporates the mixing of uh, beer and, and spirits to have a, a, Ultimate session. I'd not be excited looking for the alcohol tax on that. No, it could be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Jeff, LeVar, <laughs> Jeffrey Wong. <laughs> Mate, thanks very much for sharing. That's a beautiful moment. I love that. It's been, a, it's been an honor to finally make the debut. Yeah. No longer long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll say I've been a caller. So our our sidelines WhatsApp chat now has full full participation from all members. That's yes, good. very true. Yep. Save the best till last. The man, the myth, the legend is here, mate. Thank you very much, AP. Quarter, Jeff. Thanks again. Right, folks. Don't forget sidelines.com.au to find any of our podcast episodes or head to at the sidelines media on Instagram. Click the link in our bio. You can find all the platforms you can listen to us on. And don't forget, we now have merch. You're not a real podcast until you have merch. We've only got a few left because they've been flying. Yes. And they're very, very crisp. They are crisp. They're good quality snapbacks with uh, stitched lettering. Uh, get in. We've only got five, six, maybe seven left. Uh, they're flying like hotcakes. <laughs> All the proceeds go to supporting the podcast. But look, thanks, folks. AP, thanks again, mate. Oh, thanks, Cordo. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff, thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. Great See you later. Yeah.